Welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, episode 15 of the Hockey Toolkit. I am Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And, uh, well, first of all, my condolences to you, Coach, uh, about your Devils. I'm sorry they couldn't make it past the uh, the second round, but, uh, you know, they, they did their best. Yeah, yeah. and so if, if you're going to wish my condolences, I should say congratulations in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes to you. I mean, franchise player. Yeah, well, that's what they're saying. I mean, everybody else is telling me it's rigged and we're we're scumbags and we shouldn't get the pick, but I do appreciate it. I do look forward to watching him play. Honestly, I I was one of those fans who just said, you know what, I, I don't like the tanking. I think I've said this before on the podcast. I'm not a fan of the tanking. I'm not, you know, I think there's been some great ideas brought up. I think one of the best ones that I've read is... Wherever whoever whatever team has the most points after the trade deadline that doesn't make the playoffs should get the first pick, and then you just kind of go from there. So it keeps teams competitive instead of doing this whole lottery thing. But in the meantime, I'm not going to complain because yeah, we're supposed to get a generational talent. So yeah, uh, I was ready for him, Fantilli. Uh, so either way, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, who are you rooting for now uh, as we move forward? It's tough. We're sitting in. Uh, we got three out of four of the positions locked up. Um, I really, we, we talked about it before. I really like the way Florida plays. I mean, I think that, you know, then the first round, the, you know, the, the viewing audience got a kind of glimpse into the competitiveness of that team and some of the stars on that team. And uh, I just really am impressed with how much they compete, um, how much they compete for each other. And then the skill level, the high end skill level of that team. So uh, I, I would say I'm interested in the Panthers. I can't say I'm rooting for anybody though. How about yourself? I, I grew up, uh, we got family in Carolina, um, grew up with them, uh, actually going when I was, we'd fly out there, we'd go see the Raleigh, uh, I think it was the Raleigh ice caps back in the old ECHL. So I'd go see games there. And then, you know, when the pan or not the Panthers, when the hurricanes finally came out there, uh, you know, I followed them. So long story short for them, for family, I'm, I'm rooting for them right now, but geez, man, is that me fast and the furious outside here? Uh, if, uh, it's uh, uh, that threw me off. Uh, yeah. So I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I just want good hockey at this point. I love to see the uh, Hurricanes win. Um, I am, you know, I'm I'm glad to see Toronto knocked out, only because I'm sick of the Toronto media and everything and all their fans. But but what I do next? Feel, what next? I, what is Toronto gonna do? I do feel bad for the fans of, that are actually not, you know, sitting on Twitter screaming about the refs all day. Um, <laughs> but. I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, as we talked about earlier, like in before the show, like, I don't know what you do. I, I mean, I, if if you're sitting here and you're Kyle Dubois, what what do you do? Like, what, what would you or some of your ideas of what you would do? Uh, it's really tough. I mean, I think you'd have to look, you'd have to look at some of, you know, moving out potentially one of their bigger assets, whether that's Nylander or, uh, I mean, is it, is it's, is it Tavares, you know, like one of those guys who has value and can get something in return, what that ingredient you're getting back though. I don't know. Cause you're tied into some of these higher priced guys and at crunch time, they're not coming through. So it's really, really tough. Um, the talent is there. The depth is there, but I, I just think they're missing some, you know, innate ingredient that just uh, doesn't translate to playoff hockey. What do you think? I, again, I'm kind of at a loss as I've been thinking even myself, like, okay, hey, I'm okay. I got the GM job. Like, what do I do? Like, I don't, 
I don't know if a coaching change is really something that needs to be done because I think Sheldon Keefe, you know, has been doing a great job, but it's just not going in the playoffs. And maybe, maybe it is something in the locker room. Again, as as coaches, we like to sit here and say it's never us, but you know, I mean, maybe it is. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough because I, I see. I do see as we you know we talked. I think the last podcast about how you know they they kind of remind me of the you know the early you know twenty tens. The Blackhawks, you know, just having that depth up all up through the lineup, and I, I felt like that's what they had. I know they ran into a few injury issues, but yeah, I mean, it's tough because a lot of those guys are just not coming through. And you know, again, I don't, I didn't see any big injuries come off like at, you know at the end of the series saying, "Oh, so and so is sick or hurt or this or that." Like I didn't see anything like where yeah. somebody was like had their spleen ripped open or something. So I don't know. I mean. I would not want that job right now, though. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, like you know, you when you were the Chicago won those three cups, they were consistent with the guy behind the bench. A lot yeah. of those cup winning teams that are really good for a long time had that consistent present behind the bench. Um, but you know, I, I always go back to the Devils, you know, and they had uh, the year before they went to the conference final against the Rangers. They had uh, Herb Brooks as the coach, and then they brought in yep. Jacques Lemaire, and it was a huge improvement. Lemaire was there for a long time after they won the first cup, but then the next two cups were two totally different coaches, Larry Robinson and Pat Burns. So yep. sometimes it is the voice behind the bench. I know that's just the easy way out sometimes to blame it on the coach, but maybe like getting a like a stern taskmaster drill sergeant type coach, a guy maybe like a Daryl Sutter or something like that. I know that he's not in a good place right now, no, but right. I mean, you know, a guy somewhat like that might might pay pay dividends to ignite a fire on some of those guys who aren't being productive in the playoffs. I mean, I even look at it across other sports. You know, you've got like the Milwaukee Bucks who just won the you know NBA championship two years ago, and they just fired this year. But uh, Busenholzer, uh, I probably said completely butchered that, but uh, it's it's just crazy how even some of the best coaches. And again, Scotty Bowman, he was fired by what uh, the Blues. Uh, the Penguins, I think maybe he retired from the Penguins or not. I don't remember that one. Buffalo, he was a Buffalo. GM, I think, yeah. there. But, you know, he retired with the Red Wings. But greatest coach in NHL history, you know, and he's, you know, he went around. You know, Mike Babcock, you know, where he bounced around. Granted, everybody's got their opinion on Babcock, but he won, you know. Yeah. So maybe it is time for a change behind the bench. I, I, I just don't think it's on the GM, and I would hate to think that it's on, you know, Keith, but I don't I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm not envious of those jobs. Half the time I would sit there, I'm like, God, I'd love to be coaching a team like that, right? You know, we all do. But, no, right now I do not want to be in that market right now. Oh, it's insane. No, it's, yeah, there, there's, there's no, there's no uh, second place. Second place is not good enough. No. So what's uh, what's going on in your world right now? I know that obviously we're, we're we call it off season, but silly season. But uh, Yeah, just a lot of stuff in the garage, a lot of recruiting. Uh, the rosters are shaping up. Um, and just basic, you know, basic that off-season stuff, which kind of doesn't get a lot of the, the fanfare and wins and losses. But if you don't have a successful off-season, you're not going to have a successful in-season. So we're doing a lot of that stuff now. I think I'm going to do a start a painting project in the uh, Wolves office maybe next week. So, you know, small little projects like that that uh, can can add some bells and whistles to the place. How about yourself, Trevor? I mean, like, a, you know, not to you know blow smoke up your ass, but I mean again, I see the videos you guys post on Instagram of just everything you guys offer, and it's it's awesome from a junior standpoint. Um, you know, especially you know when you're looking at USHL, like I've been 
you know, lucky enough to have the steel here and we got it to see their stuff, you know, that's tier one. And, but I mean, what you guys are offering at, at your level, not even your level, but in your league, I mean, it's, that's phenomenal. It looks all great. The locker room's fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's really cool. So I just want to say, I mean, kudos to you guys for really putting together a great uh, organization, something where if I'm a player, that's definitely, and again, not pulling smoke up your ass. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it looks great. So, well, thanks, uh, right now my world, that. yeah, I'm right now my world. Um, again, spring's kind of just winding down with, uh, some skates here and there. Um, I've had to try and talk people off, not talk them off the ledge, but keep them away from, uh, U9 AAA hockey that will be having their tryouts here next week. Uh, which is a, it's a joke on its own. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so that's basically like my biggest hurdle right now. Um, you know, you've got the recruiting world. I'm just telling, you know, and again, I, I, I sent out a nice email to the families that I had for all the 2014s that were in our database. And I just said, Hey, look, this is, I'm going to educate you on what AAA hockey is and isn't. This is my opinion. Um, you know what, if you choose to go great, good luck. I wish you the best of luck. Doors never close, but here's the reality of it. And, you know, I went into the whole, you know, which kind of brings us into the whole little bit of uh, our topic for today. But before we get there, I mean, more or less like your best nine-year-olds are typically, a lot of times it's not your best 18-year-olds, you know? For sure. Um, and, and I'll be honest, right now we've got under AAU out here, we've got uh, Mike AAA hockey. So that's that's even better. So now, now we're identifying <laughs> the best six and seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds and it's it's a madhouse so uh yeah that's basically what i've been dealing with but ed, uh, ed jovanovsky was the number one pick in the nhl draft and didn't even play hockey till he was 11 so i think uh yep where yeah. would he where would he have started on uh you know what would that be peewee triple d or something <laughs> yes yeah but basically <laughs> yeah at that age yeah 11 uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And he, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Nah, yeah. Better luck next year, Jovanowski. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, today, great. Uh, we have a great discussion with uh, Dave Starman, who, uh, again, fantastic guest. He's involved with USA Hockey on building the ADM. You know, before we get to that. Uh, well, it's episode 15, and it's about 15 years since they launched the ADM model. Uh, so I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a great discussion about what we've seen over the last 15 years since they've implemented the long-term athletic development within USA Hockey and the structure that the ADM has, has provided for coaches, players, and parents as they move forward in their hockey careers. Now, I'm a big fan of the, of the ADM, but I also like, recognize ADM for a lot of organizations wasn't completely out of the box. Playing cross-ice games, having a long-term athletic uh, mindset in, in mind, um, having station-based practices to acquire additional skills for kids. Uh, those are all topics and points that, you know, a lot of good organizations had in their prior, in their organizations prior to the ADM. But what have you seen in the last 15 years, Trevor? And what do you think that have been some of the real benefits of the ADM? I, the one thing I think, the one thing I really liked was the concepts of, it gave the coaches somewhat of a baseline, like a guideline. Um, it gave you, here's drills you can do to work on these types of things that are station-based where you keep the kids constantly moving. Um, 
you know, it gave you a little bit of the why. Um, I know we discussed a little bit later uh, some of those things with our in our interview with uh, Dave. But, uh, you know, what I really liked about it was, yeah, it gave coaches, you know, the guidelines and the ideas and like, here, here's a playbook, like kind of like a playbook for lack of a better term. Um, you know, and that's something that I feel like, you know, you did have your old school coaches who didn't, you know, you know, there's two of them that I would could go back to like two types. One was, ah, I've been doing this forever. And actually three of them, I've been doing this forever and they weren't, uh, the second one was, I've been doing this forever, and some of it was true, yeah. And then the third one was, ah, I don't need this stuff. I'm going to go back to just running, you know, crap practices, but they never, they thought they were great. Um, so I did like that. I did like the information that it provided. Um, you know, I wish it would have been accepted more or used more across the country. Again, here in Chicago, we still, to this day, and I know a lot of people associate ADM with mites, we still don't have... Um, you know, we we don't have cross ice or half ice mite hockey. We have full ice AAU mite hockey, and it's it doesn't make sense. Let me ask you this, Coach: Did you play any other sports besides hockey growing up as a kid? Played every sport. Okay, you played on a baseball team. Oh yeah, yeah. Was it you know three fifty or four hundred uh, feet straight down a uh, dead center when you were playing baseball t ball? <laughs> that's you, you nailed it out of the park right there right, I mean, absolutely every sport I, does it i mean why so why does hockey why do we have to be different and, and again i don't want to take away too much of coach uh or no well coach yeah definitely coach starman's uh uh you know his discussion but why do we have to why does it have to be just like you know why does it have to look like what's on tv why can't we just you know again my my big thing is i always look at it as when you're your kid goes to math in first grade. Are they teaching him pre-calc? No. They're teaching him how to, you know, count the one. But, well, by that point, hopefully he can count. But they're teaching him addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. I, but you can't teach even multiplication and division until you've got, you know, addition and subtraction done. And now we've got these coaches out here who want to do well let's just jump to pre-calc and screw the rest of it you know and oh it's real games it's it's not so that's kind of i guess one of my disappointments with it is that especially out here it wasn't really you know the clubs that did try to truly buy in we did have two clubs that were considered model uh us uh, usa hockey adm modeled programs um it didn't work out for them um, and actually it probably hurt them more than anything because there just wasn't enough buy-in out here. Mm. Uh, what, what was it like on the East Coast when it originally popped out? Uh, I think it was adopted by a, a lot of a lot of organizations. Still Massachusetts does a lot of full ice mites, which I don't really agree with. Um, but then there's also, you know, there is uh, an accessibility of getting cross ice or off ice mites. But I would say this. I think that, like you said, it gave a great template for a lot of organizations. And hockey really needed to address it when – when Gretzky was traded in 1988, all of a sudden, people in Southern California wanted to play hockey. Arizona, they wanted to play hockey. Texas, when the Dallas, Minnesota North Stars moved to Dallas, now all of a sudden you had, you know, Dallas Stars were investing in the building of rinks, and there's a tremendous amount of Dallas Stars rinks in greater Texas. In Florida, hockey's huge now. Now you have all these coaches who need, need something to teach their sons, daughters, and their neighbors how to play hockey. And USA Hockey with the ADM model did a great job of that. It also focused on the dynamic of repetition. 
yeah. when I when I see my son play go to a baseball practice or a basketball practice or a soccer practice because he plays everything, um, it's a very old school mentality. It's like they have eight kids watching as one player bats, or you have right. like uh, you have a basketball and one person shooting, and everybody else is rebounding. But if you can ex- extrapolate the ADM model within those sports, it can carry over and you can yep. develop more skills within a same amount of time frame as you would with a hockey practice. And I think that's where ADM really hit it out of the ballpark. And I forgot what sport. I want to say that, oh, was it, not, maybe it was, was it, U, I don't think so, but was it USA Soccer or something? One of the higher ups or one of the, it was. I, I want to say soccer reached out to USA Hockey. I'm like, how are you doing your models so that, you know, how to build off of that. Like, again, as you said, the numerous repetitions. I love that too. I love watching, being able to have kids be in a line for, you know, 10, 20 seconds standing in line, but then they're right out going and doing the drill all over again. And before it was, okay, you're up. Maybe you sit on the bench for a little bit while the coach dumps a puck in on the goalie. Then you guys break it out. And then you're like, that, that shouldn't even be in your playbook to begin with, but that's what it was, you know? So, um, there also was, was a really, really important, um, they, they, they broke down the steps too. And the steps are important. Uh, you know, when I started to do skills for different youth organizations up here in New Hampshire, I started in New Jersey. Then we moved up here in 2012 and I was hired to do skills, um, for a couple of different local youth organizations. And I remember going up, I was introduced as the new guy for this one program in, uh, in like Eastern New Hampshire, about an hour from here. And um, after about the first or second practice, which was all focused on skills and stations, uh, the coach pulled me, one of the coaches, old school coaches, pulled me aside and said, uh, hey, today can we just focus on passing? My guys need work on passing. And I said, well, you know, they, need, they need to learn how to skate. You know, they need, they need to learn how to get their play with their head up if they're going to be a good passers. He's like, no, they, they don't need that. They need to work on passing. So I did my practice and, he, you know, I think he quit being coach or yelled at me or something, <laughs> but whatever. It's like, uh, you know, you need those building blocks. If you don't have the building blocks, you're never going to get to the, the, you know, the goal at the end of the road. So a player needs to be able to skate, needs to be able to play with his head up, needs to be able to handle the puck, all if he wants to be able to pass the puck. One thing leads into the other, and that made a lot of sense with the ADM model. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know what, right here, why don't we jump in uh, with uh, Dave Starman, and we will uh, hear what he's got. He's one of the original uh, people involved in USA Hockey with uh, ADM model. So, again, a uh, great interview, and we'll jump in right here. All right, well, we have a special guest with us on today's Hockey Toolkit. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Starman. Dave Starman is the voice of college hockey. He's also been a longtime professional, amateur, and college coach for the last 30 years. And he's heavily involved with USA Hockey, so he's a great guest for our topic today of ADM. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. It is good to be back talking hockey with you, Trim. What's going on? <laughs> well, you know, actually, you brought up a great a great point. You, 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 we were just talking prior to jumping on the podcast here about um, symposiums and making the topics that you're teaching, you know, across age groups and dynamics – um, accessible for each group. Now, the ADM really covers a lot of that within USA Hockey. What if, it, looking back down the road of the last 10, 15 years, what do you think are some of the strengths you've seen out of the ADM model? 
That's a great question. And I think one of the things that the ADM did really well was the age-appropriate modules that they designed for coaches to take as they were advancing to the next levels. And one of the, one of the good things about the ADM, and there's many of them, but to me, at its base level, what the ADM was designed to do was to teach coaches how to coach, was to teach them how to teach, and was to teach them how to relate to players on an age-specific, age-appropriate level. And if it did nothing else other than that, it would have been a success. I mean, it's done so much more. But if, if that was all it got through, it was it was so worth it. And, and it's interesting because I have two sisters that are teachers. And whenever I was working in youth hockey and I felt I wasn't connecting, I used to talk to my sisters who taught various different grades. But I would say to them, hey, listen, I've got third graders. You teach third grade. What's the best way for me to talk to these kids so that I can put what I'm trying to say from my language into their language so they can hear me? And what's the best way to explain it to them with their attention spans? So, I mean, I learned a lot from my sisters who were teachers. And I think that what the ADM did was encapsulate that theory of of talking to people at various age groups to be able to instruct our coaches that are coaching different ages, to be able to treat those kids like they're that age, to be able to talk to players that are that age, and be able to develop them at that age based on their physical, mental, and emotional state. That's a great answer, Dave. One of the one of the questions I get from coaches and parents is that the ADM does a great job of providing a template and a structure um, that you can use throughout, you know, one practice, uh, extrapolate over the course of the year. But one of the things it lacks is maybe some of the details of how to properly do this, how to properly do that. For a coach that would ask you that, where would you say to that coach to go investigate and get that information? First of all, Sherman, I think you bring up a great point. And I was just talking about this today with a guy that I coached with for a long time. He's, he's in Springfield, Mass. His name is Frank Genovese. He used to be the assistant coach at AIC. And and Frank and I were talking about a, a tournament that we were just at, the pre-draft. And, and we were talking about the difference between watching more of the 18 and the 19-year-olds versus the 16 and the 17-year-olds. And it's really interesting because when you watch the 16s especially, but even a little bit into the 17s, you don't see the same hockey sense you see in the older kids. And I think that one of the areas where the ADM fell short was the hockey sense component. I don't think we taught that enough. Now, I understand why we didn't get heavily involved in it, especially at the youth level, because we wanted to make sure the kids had the ABCs, the agility, the balance, coordination. We wanted to make sure that skill development was an important component because if you've got skill and if you can skate, then everything else should fall into place. But I do think at the older levels, it is much more incumbent upon us to really now teach them the game so that we can further develop what their skills bring to the table. So that to me is is where it comes together. And that's where a lot of good symposiums are out there. Roger Nielsen's coaching clinic used to be the 10 beller. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just cleaning out my office the last couple of weeks of like a lot of old hockey stuff because I've got just – as you know, Trevor, I've got volumes of stuff. <laughs> I'm going to check out I, that office one day. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, you, it's like a little museum right now. And, and I mean, I found all of my Roger Nielsen's books with, with all my notes in them starting in, like, 92. So, I mean, like, th- that was always the the bell standard of coaching symposiums. And many, many good ones have come through. Right now, I really feel like the coach's site is is one of those symposiums that is does a really good job of something that we talked about before we jumped on, and that was – they have all kinds of different coaches on their platform and website and live during their presentations, which I think talk more to the youth coach, to the junior coach, to the high school coach, 
to the women's coach, I feel like they have geared it towards not talking about what they do at the NHL because what they're doing at the NHL sometimes, or I should say most of the time, does not translate to 12U, 14U, 16U. <laughs> if there's one, if you know, looking back on the last 15 years of ADM and the, and the growth of USA Hockey, if there's one thing that you could tweak and maybe implement that hasn't been done yet, what's that one thing? That's a great question. It's it's. I, I think part of it we we chatted about just a little bit ago, and that is the building into the hockey sense component. I will tell you this: I do think that USA is due to redo a lot of the modules that are out there. Like I really feel like almost on a yearly basis, the game evolves, and I do feel like it's important that almost on an every two year cycle, those modules get updated for every age group, whether it be different people speaking or or different coaches coming in to do stuff and, and different video being used. Cause I just think that expands the, the knowledge of, of the coaches that are watching them. So that would be number one. And, and like I said, number two, I, I think it's really incumbent upon us to get back to teaching the game. We don't want to make robots out of the players. You and I have talked about that a ton in our coaching philosophy and you, know, you come from a coaching family and, and, and we all know how important it is to let players be creative and let players play and, and let players figure things out and let them fail so that they can learn from their failure. But I, I do think that we need to give them a little bit more of what the structure of the game looks like because as skilled as they are coming up through the ranks, they're going to have to fit into some kind of a system down the road. So I, I really think it's important that we start to introduce them at least to the basics of what system hockey looks like. You know, I think that's that's another thing too. Like um, my son, Baron, is uh, with a great program here in New Hampshire. He's with the Seacoast Spartans. He's had a really good, fun season last year. Uh, you know, he's just a mite. But, you know, the um, USA Hockey talks a great deal about the long-term development model, long, creating a long-term athlete. And I think that's one area that, you know, how to implement that properly into a practice or after a practice. I think there can be greater language about that. And then, you know, you are one of the great video announcers or video commentators and giving that feedback to players. I think that's another place that we could, you know, we could talk about as coaches within USA Hockey of you know, here's a good 15-minute, 10-minute segment you can spend on your players and, and what that looks like and how that could potentially transform a kid's game. There's no question. And I think, you know, it's funny. You just sparked my mind on something, and it's, and it's interesting because they do so much video. I think that the biggest mistake youth hockey coaches make is, well, first of all, not a lot of them have enough time to prepare video or they don't have the software or know how to use the software to edit video properly. I, I do think that with, with things like Huddle, I think it's starting to get easier for youth coaches to be able to do that, and and that's a very good platform. And and they they sponsor a lot of the stuff that we do at the coaches site, which is great. And so I do think it's important for some of these coaches, especially the younger ones, to really be video proficient and not just being able to break down a video, but being able to put one together so they can use it for instructional purposes with the bells and whistles that can whether whether it be the straight lines or the vision squares or whatever the case may be. So that's part one, and and, and part two is. Learning how to run a video session. I have worked with more youth hockey coaches who say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do video for an hour, and then we're going to have a practice. I'm like, video for an hour? I said, you're wasting, I said, you're wasting 55 minutes. I said, if, you, if that video session is any longer than five to seven minutes, those kids aren't paying attention. I don't care what they're showing them. I you can be showing that. them. The, totally right. right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can put SpongeBob on; they're gonna be lost in twenty minutes. So, I mean, it's <laughs> like you. If you're doing video, I mean, this is the same thing with pro. Listen, you coach an older, an older level team, Trim. You know it. You got to get in there five, six minutes and done. Five Definitely. clips and out. 
And that's and same thing when you're doing a uh, player video with just individual kids. It's got to be three, four minutes, a couple of shifts here, a couple of shifts there. And, and the key component, the, the buzzword I always like is showing them what right looks like. So you show them themselves and what yes. they, you know, what they did well. And, and there's always the, the sandwich mentality of something good, something not good, back to something good, finalize the sandwich, but show them what right looks like. And if you have to use a clip from an upper level uh, demonstration, NHL, USHL, whatever the case is, you know, that's good to do too. But I'll, I'll conclude the video component with this. And this is a mistake we all make. You know that. <laughs> so we'll be showing video and we'll try to get our defenseman to do something higher level, whether it be rushing the puck or jumping in the rush or dive downs, whatever, right? And we pick Adam Fox as our example to show our young defenseman how to do it right. There are guys in the NHL that can't do what Adam Fox does. There's <laughs> no way in hell a 16-year-old is going to do what Adam Fox is doing. So as I've often, and you know, obviously you coach my son, Ryan, the one thing I used to tell Ryan all the time was, go get some video of Dave Longevin and Kenny Morrow and figure out what they do. As in, if you master that, we'll move up the line and find somebody better. But let's not start with the Drew Doughty's and the Adam Foxes and the Cal McCars of the world, because like I said, they're a defenseman in their league that can't do what they do. Absolutely. Trevor, what kind of stuff do you have for Dave? No, I mean, Dave, it's uh, obviously a pleasure to be able to sit here and talk with you. Uh, you know, we've interacted a little bit on Twitter and, uh, you know, just, again, the video aspect and hearing your voice. It's always good to put a face to the uh, voice. Uh, so we do appreciate it. Except your... if it's my face. <laughs> no, you, you don't have a, a face for radio. No, you're good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, going back on the ADM, where, where do you see USA Hockey taking coaching within the next – or? at least where do you think they should be taking it within the next five, 10 years? Um, you know, wh- what, uh, where do you see it going? I guess is probably a better way of putting it. It's I think that's a question. great question. It's no, no, it's a, it's a really good question. It's an important question. And it's a question that the ABM guys talk about all the time. Like it, from the past groups that I've been a part of and, and, and I'm assuming the groups that are doing it now are, are still having that discussion, like what next? And, Sometimes it's not necessarily what are we doing with the curriculum. Sometimes it's what are we doing with the rules of the game to try to enhance certain things. And you know, I know USA Hockey's taken out the the touch up the touch up offside rule. They as soon as it's offside, they blow it down automatically. I, I so they're trying to get defensemen or players to make more plays in a neutral zone and not just hammer it back in. So you're not allowed to ice the puck when when you're killing a penalty. I mean that's a, that's another thing they've implemented. So they haven't necessarily done something curriculum-wise, but they put something out there to challenge coaches to try to react differently to different stimuli on the ice. Some people think it's a great idea. Some people don't. But these are the things that we as a coaching body need to talk about. What can we do to make the game either more difficult or more unique that we have to now challenge our players to do different things and think at higher levels? And again, that's where the hockey sense component comes in. So I think that's part one. I do think it's important that we continue to hammer down on the age-appropriate concept because we've got a whole new wave of coaches that are coming in that are not that have no idea what we went through on day one when we launched the ADM. So like, <laughs> right, people right. now think cross-ice hockey is a really good thing. People think half-ice hockey now is a really good thing. People understand station-based practices are really good things. So they're not fighting the same battles that all of us still have the wounds in our back and the scars <laughs> from when we rolled this out and we're really proud of it, right? So, So I think that for the coaches now, especially all these younger kids that are going to take off their skates as competitive players and get into coaching, I think it is so important that they that we re, reintroduce them to that concept of the last team you played for 
isn't the way you coach your 8U team. You've got to understand that there are dynamics involved and, and, the, and the buzzword that Kenny Rauch used to be at USA Hockey for a long time. Kenny always got me thinking this because an 18-year-old is not half a 16-year-old. You can't treat them that way. So I do think it's important that we as a coaching body continue to mentor our young coaches and teach them how to coach. I think that's my uh, my last question I would have, and again, that's all great information, and I agree. I mean, out here in Chicago, they're still playing by the Wild Wild West rules. Of, uh, <laughs> when Chicago was always, by the way, one of the areas where it didn't grip as quick. No. I always remember, you know, all the all the where are we having success and where are we not, and Chicago always was always a name that kept buzzing. Yeah, it's uh, we still have full ice uh, might hockey out here, which is that's a story for another day. But I guess my uh, one other question would be, what do you think is a common misconception about the ADM? Like, what would be one of your misconceptions that you'd like to put to rest? That the ADM is all about playing cross ice mites. It's not. Like, that was the biggest misconception, I think, at the beginning was that's what the ADM, it's about playing cross-ice hockey, it's about stations, it's not about teaching the game, it's not about anything else other than that. And that is so not what the ADM was. The ADM was a comprehensive, age-appropriate system from 8U to 18U on how to properly develop players along the lines of long-term athlete development. What... And, and again, Kenny Roush, this is another one of his great buzzwords. And what race are we winning? What race are we running in? And where's the finish line? The finish line is not 18U. The finish line is, can you continue playing past that into college hockey, into potentially pro hockey? And, and what kind of impact can you have on USA hockey down the road and hockey in our country as you move along? So I, I think that people didn't understand the fact that the ADM was this long-term plan to get our kids playing other sports, in combination with hockey, to develop multi-sport athletes, to develop really good student athletes, to develop kids that can play different positions uh, throughout their youth career until they settle in on one and expose them to all different kinds of skill development challenges within small areas so that they can take that to the bigger surface. That's what people didn't want to understand. All they wanted to tell you was, well, Bantam hockey doesn't look like the NHL. What you're doing here doesn't look like the NHL. Well, it's not supposed to. But that was the that was that was the thing we had to say. It's not supposed to yet, you know. Like it, even Trim, you're coaching junior. There are times junior hockey doesn't look like the NHL, right? So I mean, like, there's no way Bantam is going to look that way. Far from I, it. Right. So I mean, that's the that's the problem where that's the problem we ran into early. I think we've solved a lot of that. But once again, I do think that there have to be some serious discussions now on when do we get more into the concept of teaching our coaches what systems are and translating that to the players so that they know how to play in structure and they kind of, and they know when they interchange positions, what the rules of the road are going forward. No, absolutely. And it's, it's funny you said that because we, uh, Blackhawks clearly, uh, they really took off right around when the ADM was really coming into full force. And I remember, you know, as you just said, you know, oh, this doesn't look like real hockey. And again, these are parents that have never played, but because right. Hawks are great, their kids want to be the next Patrick Kane, you know, so it's all, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times we've had Bob Mancini out who does a, Fantastic mm-hmm. job, but you know, and I love sitting there listening to him talk because he'll t- he's as blunt as hell, uh, and he'll tell you really how it is. But how many times he he's had to come through the Midwest here, especially the Illinois area, and just kind of go on like this is what it's not, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. Not this is not what it's not supposed to be. So <laughs> I I mean I 100% agree with you. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. So 
Uh, that's that's pretty much uh, all I have. <laughs> well, Bob, got- Bobby's a good Bobby's a good Long Island guy like I am. Like we we don't pull any punches. He's just, no. Bobby's a little bit more blunt than I am, but um, but we we really feel the same way. And he is a brilliant mind. He's a brilliant hockey mind. I, I love the way he sees the game. He and I he and I have gone at it on numerous occasions on like the different rule changes and some of the things that we want to implement and how we see it from different perspectives. And, you know, we're both parents of sons that are defensemen. So we do see the game similar to that, but you know, we also disagree too. If the, I will tell you this, USA hockey should be the model for the nation in terms of being able to disagree, scream and yell at each other and throw things at each other in a closed room while we're <laughs> discussing stuff. And then when it's all over, everybody say, Okay, I think we got a lot of work yeah. done here. Let's go eat. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just some of those old ADM meetings. I mean, they got intense and they got heated. And then when it was over, we said, you know what? We made the game better. We might not all agree, but we made the game better. Ah, oh, that's the beauty of it. That's fantastic, Dave. I got one final question for you. Yeah. Okay, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you're a big Grateful Dead fan. Oh yeah. I know that uh, Ryan lived in Ocean Grove last year. Yep. Yeah. Yes, he did. So. I'm a Jersey Shore guy, you know. Oh, that's um, right, you are, yeah. So did you did you take him to any Bruce Springsteen uh, locations? I mean, he's he's surrounded by Asbury Park and Freehold, the Stone Pony. Did you make any of those trips? <laughs> Come on, that's rock history, my friend. God, you're so good. So you know what? It's <laughs> the first day we went over to Ocean Grove, and I knew it was right next to Asbury Park, and. So we're driving there, and I told them the story of, of Springsteen before the Born to Run album. And I, yeah. I said, Springsteen's career was at a crossroads. And it was nobody knew where it was going, and he knew his next album had to be a big one. And obviously that's when Born to Run came out. But shortly before then was when he played the Stone Pony, which and you know right, right where it is, right across from the boardwalk there. And I showed Ryan, I said, it was in this place right here where Rolling Stone magazine saw Springsteen play, and the quote came out, I've just seen the future of rock and roll, and its name is Bruce Springsteen. It happened right there in that club. And all of his buddies were like, wow, that's so cool. And half of them hadn't heard of Springsteen, but like <laughs> sure. the, ones that, the ones that did, they're like, wow, that's really cool. So, yes, absolutely. We have, we have definitely tried to, to sell the historical aspect of what Asbury Park has been to the rock and roll scene then and now. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This was great information. And uh, I thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. You got it, Trip. Absolutely. We will, I will talk again hopefully soon and enjoy the spring, allegedly the, the off-season. <laughs> yeah. Silly season. Fill me in when that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dave. You Have got it. Take care, guys. Well, well, that was a great interview with Dave. Uh, great guy. Uh, really with the voice of college hockey, and he really gets out there and, and explains in great detail what the ADM is, is all about. Trevor, what were, what were some of the big takes you took out from Dave's segment with us? Oh, I mean, first of all, Dave, again, like as Coach Trimble said here, thank you for coming on. Uh, awesome having you on. Um, some of the big takeaways, I really liked his – you know, getting a little bit more involved with the structure of the game. Um, I think that is something that is a little bit lacking. Um, but one of the other big things is and something that I've been preaching, um, especially at the younger ages, that, you know, I used to get a lot of, you know, crap, not crap back, but I used to get a lot of, you know, flack for was, you know, I, I, I'm not tr- teaching your kids to be robots. I want them to be more creative. I want them to think for themselves. As a coach at any age level, I'm not yelling at your kids, whether I'm 
coached last season at 16U or this spring at 9U. I'm not yelling at the from the bench on what to do. She's like, hey, move your feet, or you know, we got to get going, or your line change, or like dump it. Okay, little things like that, but I'm not telling kids to pass it. You know, I want them to think for themselves. I want them to see it, and then when they come back, I'm going to teach them on the bench. Like, this is the situation, you know. And as he said, you know, you got your sandwich. This is what you did good. Here's what we could maybe possibly change. And you know, I'll give the kid the marker and say, hey. What could you have done? What could we have done differently here? And then, you know, followed up with, hey, whatever, you know, another positive, like, great, you know, it's a great effort. Let's just keep banging away at this and figure it out. Um, You know, and those are things that I think that, uh, again, you know, you know, Dave said that they need, there needs to be a little bit of change in there with the the structure and just a little bit more freedom. Um, You know, how about yourself, coach? I thought he had a lot of great points right off the bat. Uh, And I also thought that he, he brought up a really great, point that gets overlooked and that's having age appropriate practices uh so many times you'll see somebody a coach go out there and on youtube and they'll be like uh oh this is a great drill but it is a great drill for maybe 14s but it's it's a terrible drill for u 10s right it's not about the drill it's like you're, you're also you're teaching to your audience and whatever you're teaching has to apply to your audience so i think dave brought up a great point that sometimes gets overlooked if you're not teaching skills all the time or drills or only, you know, only a part of the equation, it's the total picture of, of the type of kids you have, the type of things you're trying to implement, the type of skills you're trying to teach, and then making sure that it a, has a long-term focus in mind so you can build it up over the course of a season or career. No, definitely. It, uh, and again, it was – I got a lot of info out of it, um, you know, and I love the, the basically the honesty of it. Um, there are things that need to be fixed, just but that's that's okay. I mean, we've you've got the groundwork laid there, um, when done correctly and used, you know. And again, well, I sit here as a coach and say I've done everything part of the ADM. No, I'm not going to sit here and say I have, but I've used a lot of the concepts. And for me, coming up at, you know, again, 15 years ago, I would have been 19. So I mean, it really was about 20 when I started coaching. Like that's how I was, what I was taught, you know, and. It was, you know, brought up about, oh, might hockey, it's all about might. No, it's not. It's, as you said, station-based, you know. It's how can we get the most out of this time uh, that we're out here? How many? How can we get the kids better? Um, and I think we've done, I mean, I think we've done a pretty good job. There's always room for improvement. But, again, I, from my standpoint, I really enjoyed uh, talking to Coach Dave, um, you know, and uh, seeing what he had there. Absolutely. You ready to move on to five myths? Let's knock her out. All right. Five myths of the ADM. This will be a good topic. I know that um, we'll also have some people who might disagree. We might have some disagreements on this segment, which is a rarity for us. Yeah, but, never uh, let's go for it. Five you... myths. I got the first one. Yep. And it's all about small area games. That's what everybody always says. It's all about small area games. Uh, small area games were not invented by the ADM. They no. were, <laughs> they existed a long time before the ADM, but it's all about, as I said earlier, repetitions. And if you're playing a small area game, the puck moves quicker. It gets on the kid's sticks a lot quicker and more frequently. So small area games were a good dynamic to incorporate in the ADM because it fits in the organizational or overall overlapping philosophy. So although small area games are a critical piece, they've always been a critical piece of hockey. No, Sim- right. simple as that. So uh, maybe some people who weren't really familiar with running hockey practices down in the south when they started to 
you know, try to grow the game down in the Sun Belt. Weren't familiar with that term or that concept, but it's been always been a, you know, a part of hockey practices, a part of hockey coaching, and it's just a small piece of the overall ADM philosophy. And that was, and I agree on that uh, with that one. Um, small area game, especially out here in Chicago, everybody, as soon as it came out, the big argument was, oh, it's about cross-ice games and it's not real hockey, as we talked about before, um, which that's not true. It's still hockey. And again, as you said, you're getting more repetitions. You're getting more, you know, goalies are seeing more pucks. The players are touching the puck more. Instead of using a full 200 by 85 rink, where you know, you've seen it just as much as I have, where it's basically the top three or four kids who can handle the puck go from one end of the zone to the, or from one end of the rink to the other, and they're the ones creating all the, you know, all the, all the chaos, all the potential scoring chances, and then the one kid who never touches the puck, but he just goes back and forth. If he's standing in front of the net and the puck trickles out and he scores, it's the greatest thing in the world. Well, okay, yeah, scoring goals great, but. What did that kid really get out of it? He learned how to basically skate up and down the rink, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't disagree whatsoever. It's not all about small area games. Um, you know, mine kind of falls into that. Number two uh, is it's not real hockey, um, you know, the ADM. And, again, I, I equate this just to basically what I was just saying. Might as well just rewind and listen to it again, but... You know, ADM, again, everybody thought it was for mites. It was just all about mites, and it's not. And I know that's something that gets talked about here in a little bit, but um, it is real hockey. You are running station, you know, it's station-based where we're running specific drills to, you know, work on hockey concepts or to work on skills. Um, You know, it's not going to be your flow drills, which, you know, they have their time and place, but... Um, you don't need it, and you know you don't always need those. Again, playing cross-ice games, half-ice games, like, again, a 7-year-old, a 6-year-old doesn't need to be going up and down the ice, again, playing 200 by 85. Like, as we said before, I'm not, I'm not trying to hit a ball when I was in T-ball out of a field that was the size of Wrigley, you know? I didn't have a green monster I had to try and hit that <laughs> thing over. In soccer, our fields were smaller. Or, you know, football, they're not having you play a full 100 yards. At least I don't think so. Uh, hell, golf, they move the tees all the way up for you. Um, so it, it's basically, yeah, it, it, it's still hockey. It's still getting kids to play the game. I agree. And, uh, you know, the game, when you boil down to it, it it's based upon an overall skill set, right? Kids need to be able to skate. They need to handle the puck. They need to play with their head up. They need to be able to shoot. They need to be able to make think the game be in a good position to get passes and get pucks and all that, you know, correlates on a smaller surface. So the idea that, you know, you can play on a bigger surface and capture a lot of those skills is kind of counterintuitive because it's, it's not the same, it's not the same game. The, the size to size of the player to the size of the rink is a real ratio and that makes it real hockey. Right. And again, I mean, the one thing I like to, you know, I was told was, you know, the game is played one zone at a time. You got to get from the defensive zone to the neutral zone to the offensive zone. And in each zone, you're doing something different to a certain extent, or you might be adding, doing some of the same stuff, but it's one zone at a time. And, you know, you can't get from the defense. I mean, you could if you ice the puck, get it to the defensive zone and the offensive zone, but it's still going to go through the neutral zone. But so the game is played in small, you know, small areas. So, yeah, that was my. Uh, my number uh, two, I think number three, I, we've kind of knocked off as well. But 
No, no. Number three is a little bit different. So number three is cross ice mites just benefits rink owners. And where there is a benefit to that, where you can get more kids on a sheet of ice if it's divided up correctly and it can consume a smaller amount of time, that definitely benefits a rink owner. But what I think it benefits and what I've seen at youth levels and specifically with young kids is that uh, kids want to be part of events. They want to go to things that like there's other kids at the rink and there's a buzz in the rink. If you got one team playing another team, that's cool. But now if you have four or five teams, it feels like a tournament. It yep. feels like there's something going on. There's a buzz. And I've always said to coaches that the biggest metric for a good coach at, at U8 and, and basically U10 too is turnover rate. Is, yep. it, is that kid coming back? Does he still want to play hockey at the end of the season? And if they're going to events that are fun where there's a lot of different kids and there's a lot of a fun buzz in the building, then they're going to want to come back. And so I think cross ice mice not just benefit rink owners, but it really benefits the kids too. Yeah. When it, uh, again, so I was start, still relatively fresh coach, uh, ADM out here in Chicago. Um, we had jamborees where you would have, you know, you'd split the ice into thirds. Um, each zone had its own game and basically, you know, kids were bouncing in and out, you know, Mike Jamboree is basically, they were, that's literally what they're called. Uh, they're bouncing around, you know, on and off the ice. They're, you know, having fun. They're chasing each other around, you know, it's, it was fun. It was, Definitely. you know, as a coach, I mean, it was tiring because you're trying to track down kids. You're trying to keep the play going. And not all of us had the, you know, those, the big, uh, boards that USA hockey provided, you know, so we had to use, you know, little borders that we would have, but yeah, those were great. And you know, and you all say, it you know okay rink owners but also from a parent standpoint it should be making the game more affordable too at those younger ages yes because you're putting more kids on the ice so your overhead as a program shouldn't be as much now i get it clubs have to run you know they can't run it as a deficit um with that being said you know you don't really need to rake in you know th- hundreds of thousands of dollars on these little jamborees. I mean, you're putting more kids on the ice, so it should theoretically be cheaper. Now, again, you know, you got the Jersey mob, you got the Chicago mob, you don't know what they're involved <laughs> in here and there, but, you know, again, realist, uh, you know, the idea I know behind ADM also, one of them was, hey, we can get more kids on the ice, more kids active, which would make this more financially feasible for those kids getting into the game. And hopefully that, you know, as they go on, okay, we can keep and retain more of those players. So uh, I, I agree with you on that one. It's not uh, not those shady uh, rink owners. One of the one of the funny things that I always remember with that, that buzz in the rink, so my son is seven, he's going to be eight at the beginning of this season. Uh, when he was five, he was doing cross-sites, and that probably was his first organized year of hockey, although he's been skating probably since he was like two and a half, three years old. But he would uh, get out there, buzz around. You know, the crowd's going wild. There's a bunch of people in the stands because they're from four different teams. So it right. looks like a pack. It, looked, it might as well be Madison Square Garden. You know, right. there's a million fans out there. And he would usually have like a first good first shift. I mean, I think if he played 10 games that year, he probably scored a goal on the first shift in like four or five of the games. Once he scored that first goal, though, he'd get out there and just do laps, wave to the fans, <laughs> just go, go up around the glass, wave to his grandma, wave to his grandpa. And it that's was just awesome. like, that's all he wanted to do at that point, just show off that he scored. And that's what it's about at that age. It's For not sure. about playing 40 games a year in a, 
and identifying kids as the top of their birth year at that age. It's, ugh, it's disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still not over it, but I will be, maybe eventually. Um, number four, uh, programs and coaches need to follow it to the letter or to the T. Um, you know, and this is where I think that, again, the ADM has provided a great, you know, foundation. It's filled with information. Um, it is lacking in certain information, you know, uh, as Dave said, you know, it's not, and you said as well, you know, it's not giving you the full, okay, this is how you teach this type of skill always, you know, and again, that's stuff that we should know and we should go out as coaches to find. But if I'm running a practice, I don't have to always make sure that I'm running an ADM drill, or I don't have to make sure that, you know, everything aligns exactly with it. It's okay to go outside the bubble here. You know, it's no one's holding, well, I don't know, but I would hope not. No one's holding the gun to your head saying you need to teach from week one all the way through the whole thing. But again, it provides that framework for coaches to go out and build and not only just start where they're at, but if you have to go back and do a refresher on a certain thing, okay, you know, we're going to make sure that if we're running this station-based drill, we're going to do it for three, four weeks and see how it goes. Or, hey, you know what? Maybe we're not ready to jump to it. Maybe, you know what? Maybe I saw something on the coach site or I saw something on ice hockey systems that I really like. Yep. There's no one sitting there unless it's mandated to you by the club that you're with that says you have to do it. So I think a lot of people were, when it initially came out, at least some of the people I talked to um, who are no longer coaching because they shouldn't have been, um, you know, <laughs> they thought that it was just going to be like, oh, well, now they're telling us how to do our jobs. No, no one ever came in and said, you know, you can't be a coach. Like, you can't still do your own thing to a certain extent, but Hey, here's, here's guidelines. Here's something to help you. And I think a lot of people were threatened. Like some coaches were kind of threatened by it to a certain extent. If you, you know, you could say that, I guess that's my opinion. Um, no, sticking I, to it, but I, I agree with you. I think that's one thing that like any good coach though, um, any passionate good coach who's in it for the right reasons is a lifelong learner and they want to learn more. If it's coming from a good place, uh, and you can gather more information to improve your craft, then that's good information. And you should you should embrace that getting better at what you want to do. Um, you know, when we do, when, we, when I do my skills with uh, different local youth programs, and I'll incorporate our Wolves players who are here from all over the country, um, and I'll, I'll take the kid who's the best shooter, and we'll do a old school style tuching, uh, uh, shooting tutorial station where they're like, just working on the fundamentals of a wrist shot because they that kid who can shoot really well can explain it to them. And the kids right. want to learn from like, oh, these superstar Wolves players who are in the building. <laughs> right. You right. know, so you can you can tweak it and fit to you, the dynamics of the group you have coaches that you have and make it work for you. But I think the o- overall philosophy of having station-based practices to acquire skills and improve the amount of repetitions you're getting in practice it, it, it that's that's full, that's foolproof that, that you can use that anywhere that's a great model right and again i mean this isn't to say that as a coach your full whole practice even has to be station based there might be drills that you want to do i think the big thing for me that i i took out of it was there's ways from what i was how i was taught how i was coached there's better ways of doing things um and here is that here's some of those ideas and again it's that's what I took from it, and I didn't feel threatened by it. I, you know, I sat in the coaches' clinics, and 
yeah, sometimes you're just like, all right, can we get over this? Or I'm tired of hearing about the ADM. Like, okay, we get it. Like, I'm on your side, guys. Like, I'm part of your team. Like, I agree. You know, like, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm like, can we, can I learn something else now? Um, but, I mean, again, here, I mean, I even got them right here. Like, literally right next to us. Here, here we go. Associate level manual, uh, ADM, handbook number one. Like, I mean, yeah. nowhere in here does it say follow this to a T or you will be a terrible coach. Like, I've got stuff in here. This is number one. I mean, it's it's not even stuff that's on the ice. There's stuff about, about what to do off the ice, yeah. how to hold a parent meeting. I mean, this is stuff that I've, I, again, it's still relevant to today. It's hopefully it's only going to get better. Um, well, the one last, the last nice thing on, on that topic too is I and you said like you don't have to follow it to the letter. I also think that coaches, you know, you, when you reach those lulls in the season or a dip in the season. That's a great time to tweak it a little bit. You know, go from a uh, station-based practice one day to a full ice scrimmage. You know, Absolutely. go go you know go to a practice that has more full ice drills because it is a full ice game at a certain point. And kids need to learn full ice drills, but uh, you know, put the put the stations on the back burner for a little bit. Spend 15, 20 minutes of your hour-long practice on something else and break up the monotony because that's important too. Absolutely. All right, Coach, what do you got for number five? Myth number five, ADM was created for all players. I think, you know, it's really important when you introduce your son or daughter to the game to have like a slow approach. Every kid's going to be different. Some kids are going to want to jump in the pool. Some kids want to dip their toe in and go to their ankle. Um, Once you do that, though, you kind of have to evaluate and look at where your kid, if they want to go to an advanced setting where they're improving their skills, that's great. But if you throw them into something that they're not ready for, maybe a house league or a rec league might be a better place for them. So I would, I would just, you know, I would, I would implore parents to not be searching for like the high end programs all the time. Take a minute, sit down, look at your kid. If they also want to play basketball in the winter, let them play basketball, let them play hockey. Let them play all the sports so they can get an understanding of the full scope and experience of the athletic experience. But if you throw them in right to a to a high intensity ADM only program, you know you might burn them out. So be careful of doing that. No, for sure. And again, it's I mean, for I think for all you know coaches, it's and you know not only parents but basically coaches, um, you gotta you gotta know your team. Um, read read the team, see what it is, see where the players are at, see how they want to go with it. And again, for parents, you know, if it's there's different skill levels involved in the game. I mean, some kids might benefit, you know, they might be more advanced or they can do some, you know, t- a team wise, they might be able to do more um, than another, you know, team. And and within this, you know, guide that we have these, you know, these ideas, these foundations that you can adjust as coaches, you can adjust what you you can add tweaks, you can do progressions. It's it's amazing what you can do and it's just not all about you know one specific age level one specific group so uh before we uh take off there coach you know dave brought up a good point or brought up a good topic um and i was you know i wanted to get your thoughts on it was uh the the basically you know i've been dealing with it this last year uh specifically when i had the the midget age group at 16u um, the rule changes. He brought up about, you know, playing, um, you know, with, uh, you know, no delayed offsides, um, which was a real kind of kick in the pants for us because out here, 
Um, in Illinois, we've got obviously high school hockey, and we've got double A hockey, triple A hockey. But only at the high school level do they allow delayed offsides at the midget age. Whereas if you are at the double A level and um, you know not high school, but you're playing in a double A league, USA Hockey rules state that you cannot you, you can't have them you know delayed offsides. Or, you know, you can't ice the puck. And again, I, I understand the reasoning behind them both. Uh, you know, as Dave said, you know, I, I don't disagree with it. But at, at what age do we kind of stop putting in those, um, you know, restrictions um, and kind of just let the kids, you know, again, we, now I'm kind of on the other side of it, but let the kids actually play the game, um, you know, that like it, they see on TV. I mean, like, what age is it, do you think, is acceptable for that? Because, again, I don't disagree that, hey, you know what, let's let's put in no icing on a penalty kill when you're in Mike, Square, Peely, even Bantams. I'm, I'm completely fine with that because those kids need to learn how to get their heads up and read situations. I'm fine with that. But when we're talking about kids that are in their final four years of hockey who are not going to probably – who are end up going to be most of the time men's league players or, you know, women's league players, like – why I feel like sometimes we're kind of doing too much and not a, like we're doing too much and thinking it's you know great and all this and maybe it is but I don't know I, instead of me rambling here what are your what are your thoughts on that? no I know I know where you're getting at Trevor and and, and that's a great question and and I think that um, certainly every governing body with hockey is open to change like you look at the NHL and they you know when after the lockout. They took out the red line. That was a great move. It opened up the game, created more speed. You didn't have as many of the neutral zone trap teams that were effective. But, you know, coaches are smart, and they put in, you know, one one threes or one three ones to kind of clog up the neutral zone. So coaches yep. are always ahead of the curve a little bit. Um, they put the trapezoid in, you know, for Brodeur to not move the puck as quickly. <laughs> I don't think that's been a great role. But specifically when, when he said it, when you brought it up, I didn't want to put Dave on the spot too much because – uh, we had a, you know, I, I did coach Ryan, his son last year, great kid. Um, and we had a end of the season tournament and we were, in the, our, our team was in the semifinals. We were down one, nothing. And we got a five minute major and you had the five minute major or you had the five minute power play off of the major. We had the power play. Okay. So we had an opportunity to tie the game and just getting the picture painted here for me. Yep. <laughs> the picture it was down in Florida. It was it was a great tournament, and the team was battling. It was a great back and forth game. Um, but that five minute major, I think Dave actually told me after the game in real time minutes took something like fifteen minutes because we the other team was just icing the puck. And I told our guys the same thing. You know, it's not a penalty to ice the puck. We're killing the penalty. We'll we'll take that face off because we can win it again and ice it again and get new guys on for the penalty kill. So it makes sense for us to take that stoppage instead of being being in the zone for two minutes. So I really think that rule has really hurt the game at that level. Uh, where I think the biggest dramatic... Uh, and these were 16-year-olds, right? These were 16-year-olds, Okay, yeah. just making sure so everybody knows, yeah. Yep, and I they think... They should know your... I mean, they should know where you're coaching and your background and your biography <laughs> and all that, but... I'm <laughs> not that big deal, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I think that rule has really hindered... Um, uh, the flow of the game, but more importantly, Dave hit on a thing we talked about the structure of the, the advanced structure of the game. So, you know, power play breakouts. You don't need to teach your team power play breakouts now. If every time they ice it, 
there's a face-off in the offensive zone. Right. And that's an important skill for defensemen and offensive players to learn is how to structure a power play breakout. Defensemen picking up the puck behind the net and making a good first pass, reading the four checker, reading the four check on, on the penalty kill, those are important skills. Why are we yes. taking those out of the game? Right. I don't understand it. And again, that's that's where I come back. Where I was, you know, I after in certain points of games this year, I'd look at my you know assistant and my stuff, probably and be like, we just both be shaking our heads like this is not helping. It's it's more or less. And again, I mean, we did not have a good record this year. We were not in the right league. This this and that. I mean, I've already said it numerous times. So you know, any time that we had a chance when we were killing a penalty, we didn't take many penalties either. But we we're able to ice it. Fuck, like. Why, why do I why do I have to be punished? Why do they have to be punished? Because these kids in two years are going to go to men's league if they don't go and play college or juniors or whatever. But okay, realistically, eventually all roads lead to men's league. So why am I you know four years from now, three years from now, two years from now, whatever they are at midgets when they go to play men's league? most men's leagues, as soon as you get it over your own blue line, you can dump it out and it's not considered, you know, icing or whatever, <laughs> you know? So, um, why, why are we taking that away? And you just made a great, you know, great point. You have to learn how to read the play. You have to know how to read the, you know, the four check. And again, it's just as important on the, you know, even strength as it is when you're up a man or you're down a man. Again, teams play different neutral or you know neutral zone, but more importantly, even offensive zone four checks when they're killing penalties. So, I, I sometimes I feel like it's one of those things where we we get ourselves we get in the way of a little bit of ourselves. Um, and it's not like you know when USA Hockey came back and put more of the you know emphasis on standard play with the physicalness of hockey of the you know you got to be playing the puck and to play the body and I remember when that first happened there's penalties galore um, where at this point it's like it doesn't even feel like it's called anymore um, at least you know with our, at our leagues um, but so that one kind of phased itself up but you can't take away you can't kind of trickle away the no icing on a power, uh, power play. Well, the one part of that too is that they're overlooked and that they didn't put that in. They didn't add add that rule. Is um, and I think you know, and truthfully, I think a lot of the other rules that they changed were, were positive, and you can make adjustments, and it has helped players in certain respects. But Absolutely. when they when they put that penalty kill icing rule in, they didn't attach to it that you can't you can't change your, your killers. So, like at the junior level, if you ice the puck. Uh, ice the puck at five on five. Um, you can't. Those guys have to stay on the ice. Right. On a penalty kill, if you did that, they'd stay on the ice. You know, for a, for a long time. I mean, that would be really really right. tough. So in, in 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 reality, what that rule did is it really benefited penalty kills instead of the what they tried to do is benefit power plays because you can have fresh killers out every single time and you might only have one or two units that you even practice the power play with. So they're going to be gassed. And the killers are always fresh. Right. No, and I, again, I mean, that was, I, I was always, a, and again, I, I was always the coach of what, how I was taught was, you know what, when your team at the younger levels, when they're on the power, or like you're on the penalty kill, you know, again, what are the parents going to be doing? They're going to be yelling, ice it, ice it, dump it, whatever. And that's what they saw on TV. Um, You know, going back to that kind of, you know, <laughs> we keep circling around what they saw on TV, you know, <laughs> but it's. My and I mean again I've said it before I would send emails to the team 
to the parents saying, look, I'm trying to teach the kids to get their heads up in situations. If all we ever did was every time we got the puck in our own zone and the penalty kill is if we just iced it, we would never score any shorthanded points. Like, we need to teach them when to ice it, when not to. Well, it was great because USA Hockey then came in and took that out of my hands at those ages where I could say, hey, you know what, unless we're really, 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 really getting killed and, like, we're, you know, you need to get that out, fine. Like, I, okay, but, you know, outside of that, it's an automatic icing, pucks back in our own zone. So, like, I was grateful for that. But I'm not grateful for it at the 16U level when especially the kids might go after the game and go play for their high school where they're running a power, you know, they got a set power play breakout. And so I think that was one thing that he, I, uh, Dave brought up that I, I agreed with to a certain extent, but I, I disagreed to another because, you know, let's not, unless it's actually going to be beneficial for those players that are, you know, are at that age where we're still developing them. And I'm not saying we're not at the midget age, but we have to be realistic and say, look, these kids got four more years of hockey left. Uh, most of them. Again, 98%, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, they've got a little bit of hockey left in them. Like, let's give them that experience of what it really is. You know, what they've been playing. Like, what you and I had, again. So, I mean, that's my, what I, the only one thing that, I, you know, and I would love to have Dave back on and definitely discuss Absolutely. that and see what he's got because I'm sure he's got some rules and ideas and you know what i mean honestly my uncle and i we go back and forth about you know how can the nhl implement more scoring well right now they don't need to i don't think at this point because when you got mcdavid putting up 152 points that's uh, not a big deal but you know and you have a devil's playoff game that was eight four (laughs) right exactly right yeah so but one of the things we talked about was you know maybe at the nhl level they need to implement the you can't ice the puck on the penalty kill why are you know and again it makes sense why are we rewarding teams for committing a penalty. That's literally what you're doing is saying, okay, you're losing a guy, but we're going to let you dump the puck. Well, and it's not going to be an icing. I, I, I mean, wh- why? You know? So again, I get it. Different ideas, but I think at the youth age, I, I don't think this rule has panned out. I'm hoping to see it taken, taken out. Yeah. Um, at yeah. least at this age level, um, especially to make it fair across the board. Cause when you got, again, you know, high school and double A kids the same age in one league you can, one league you can't. And it says explicitly in the USA hockey rule, like, you know, the bylaws, like whatever you want to call them, like, hey, this is what you can and can't do. Like, okay, like at this in this league you can, but this league you can't. Like, it's silly. So that's my uh that's my soapbox. Um thanks for coming to my TED talk. But uh anything you wanna you wanna add or say, coach, before we uh sign off for episode fifteen? No, I just want to say I think this is one of our strongest episodes. We certainly had a great guest. A big shout-out to Dave Starman. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope to have you again in the future. Maybe jump on for a different topic, but uh, certainly you knocked it out of the park with our ADM discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Coach Dave. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, if you can uh, like, subscribe, any type of feedback you can provide for us, it would be greatly uh, appreciated. And actually, Coach, I do have uh, one other congrat. You know, you gave me congratulations, but we've got our own congratulations. And I, I know it might not seem like a lot, but uh, we've surpassed 1,000 listens. Hey, that's pretty I good. Mean, I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I would love for it to be, you know, 10,000. I know that probably of those 1,000, probably like 100 each split between us. Is, is, <laughs> no, no, but seriously, I mean, hey. For my, all things considered. My big question is, what are those other people doing with their time? I mean, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, right. We're, we're, we're producing good content here. Get on board, folks. 
Yeah, again, like, share, everything, smash that subscribe button, whatever it is. But uh, for all of you who have been listening and loyal listeners, we do appreciate it. Um, and uh, you know what? It's, at the end of the day, it's been fun, and we hope we've uh, you know helped everybody, at least in some capacity. So, uh, yeah, for, um, I'm Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And, uh, yeah, thanks for everybody for listening to episode 15. We'll see you.